Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. With me today is CEO and CIO Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. It's great to be here, Dan. Chris, another uh, two podcast week coming up here. So, um, <laughs> as as uh, the markets keep ripping along and, and all this action, we we got to fill in the fill in everyone with what's taking place. So, um, just jumping right into questions. You know, yesterday uh, the Fed raised rates, and we're recording this on on Thursday morning. So, yesterday the Fed raised rates twenty five basis points. Um, they you know they changed their language from future rate hikes may be necessary. Um, to some additional firming may be necessary. Um, question: you know, how, how do you interpret the Fed's communication? And you know, did you do you believe that the Fed is finished raising rates? Uh, yeah, just quickly, I, the the Fed is finished raising rates. I I truly believe that, unless for some reason you know we end up in a situation where uh, we have to restart fiscal policy or re ramp up QE. Um, you know, there's a big interpretation out there that the Fed made a, a dovish raise or the beginning of a pivot. Um, I don't think that's the case. We've just stopped the hiking cycle. I think when they went in and said additional firming may be necessary, I think he was given explicit guidance that says, look, I'm not going to raise anymore because I can see how much the events of the last two weeks have tightened up future credit conditions that's going to feed the real economy. But as inflation falls, I'm not going to pivot either. I'm going to let inflation fall, let real rates increase, and we're going to have to see kind of more damage or more consistency that we've tamed the inflation dragon before we're going to consider lowering rates. So I think all we've done to this stage is in the tightening cycle. Um, we'll see what, what happens next. Yeah, and I guess follow up there. If, if what you're describing is the Fed is done raising rates, I guess the, naturally the next question is, you know, when, when do they begin to cut? Yeah. Um, look, I think they're going to be forced to cut. Uh, I think they may be forced to a cut aggressively sooner than they even believe. But we've got to remember the sequence of monetary policy and what it's going to take in order for them to cut rates. The issue is inflation. Inflation is a lagging indicator. They are not going to cut rates because of banking stress, right? They, they have a liquidity facility that they put out there. And, it you know, as Luke Groman quite accurately points out, it's quasi-yield curve control. If you're a regulated bank and you have a treasury you can give it to us at par. We're happy to pay the old, the old interest rate value for those securities. So they've got the liquidity backstop for the banks. I don't think they're going to be willing to lift until we get to the point to we see unemployment increase, right? So first you tighten up financial conditions, then those tighter financial conditions hit the real economy, meaning you go into a material slowdown or recession, that then elicits the corporate response, which is layoffs. Once you have layoffs or sufficient economic damage that the politics around that situation is more acute than the politics in and around the inflationary conditions, then you can cut rates. So I don't think we cut rates till we see layoffs and we see real recession indicators. I happen to think those happen relatively soon. It wouldn't surprise me to see those conditions start to develop in the second quarter. 
uh, certainly by the third quarter. So we could be cutting and cutting aggressively by the end of the year. We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. Uh, and, and back to yesterday's conference. So you know, Chairman Powell um, had his conference yesterday. Treasury Secretary Yellen, you know, her, some of her commentary implied you know, a, broad, a broad insuring of deposits is, is not on the table. Um, you know, her comments appear to be, you know, really hit regional banks hard, you know, triggered a large sell-off in the equity markets. Um, the question here is, you know, do you think we can end the stress in the regional banks without providing blanket guarantees on customer deposits? Yeah. So I think there's, there's a lot of issues wrapped in and around this. And I think investors are concerned that, or I shouldn't say that, investors assume that, well, if we're going to offer uh, all we have to do is offer universal deposit protection. And once we do that, you know, this, the, the issue and the strains within the regional banking system will be behind us. You got to realize that the authority to make such a change is going to take congressional action. Congress and the legislative process responds to crises. They don't respond in anticipation of a crisis. So I think there is a snowball's chance in hell that we get congressional action without further acute issues developing and pressuring Congress to act. That's number one. Number two, they can do whatever they want. The, that horse is, is out of the barn, right? There is not a corporate treasurer on the planet who is not looking at how they're managing cash in where they don't have sweeps or where they have risk making moves. It doesn't matter if you have blanket guarantees. The money's moving, and it's going to continue to move, and it's not going to wait on Congress, and we're going to have the issues that we're going to have because of that. Um, and, you know, look, I think even if there was stress, I don't think you're going to get sufficient action quick enough out of Congress because there's inevitably a pocket of politicians that just quite frankly, don't care about anything but their own self-interest, and they would use any point of stress for their own personal gain. Um, and that's enough to delay it longer than would, uh, than, than would be sufficient in order to address any issue. So I don't think we're going to get any universal insurance, and if we do, it'll be too late. Um, I don't think it's necessary because, like I said, we've got the liquidity backstops. It doesn't mean we're not going to have issues. We are. We may lose some other banks. We're at the beginning of the, the loss phase of, of the monetary tightening. So, um, you know, I, I think it, the cycle is going to play out, and I'm not looking for um, any patch by Congress to, to prevent it. Yeah. Um, and I want to bring us back to our podcast from Monday. Um, you, know, you described no change in our playbook, right, we, we, that we expect further economic and market weakness in the first half of, of this year, um, as recession takes hold, as the and, and really the first chance for economic stability seems like it's going to be in the third quarter. Uh, with that being said, you know, however, you know, we're already seeing banking stress and credit deterioration, um, and we've yet to see the broad rate stain on, on corporate earnings and on households. Yeah. Uh, normally, you know, banking and credit stress that shows up once we're in recession and incomes and profits are impaired, um, ultimately limiting the capacity to service debt. Right. So, are yep. we being you know, too sanguine in our assumption that the severity of the coming recession? Potentially. Um, I think you rightly point out that we would typically see credit stress and banking stress once you're well into a recession and corporate profits are under pressure and the layoffs have showed up, so personal incomes are under pressure, and we're already starting to see those stresses. So, um, look, it could be 
instead of a, a two-quarter phenomena, a three-quarter phenomena. Um, but we're, we, we are recessing that excess liquidity. We are recessing the unsustainably low uh, cost of capital. Um, I think it's, as, as we mentioned just earlier, look, we, you first tighten up financial conditions. That then hits the real economy. The real economy responds, and that then it hits households and personal incomes because you have layoffs. And we haven't, we haven't quite reached that point where we have the layoffs, so that's coming. I'm assuming it's going to be severe enough that we're going to get a fairly significant policy response. But let's go to the way back machine. Let's go back to when we were having these conversations at towards the tail end of 2021 and into 2022. And we said, look, the Fed's objective is to make sure the sovereign, meaning our U.S. Treasury, can fund itself. It cannot fund itself at 4% at 5% or even at 3.5%. So we said they're going to have to break things. They're going to have to drive the environment to where we can get rates back to 2% or lower without resorting to yield curve control and quantitative easing in a manner that would restart QE. And that was very much the message that Jay Powell let, let out yesterday, which was, hey, we may be done raising rates, but I'm not cutting them anytime soon. I'm going to let things break. And oh, by the way, I'm not going to stop quantitative tight either. And he knows very good and well, the Fed knows that they have reached the limit of the reduction in excess reserves in the banking system to where it's no longer benign. So any further QT is going to cause more damage. It's going to create more credit losses, and it's going to significantly disrupt the economy. So I think all that's going to play out. I just think it can be fairly acute, fairly quick, and we may get a pretty quick turn in policy response accordingly. And if we're wrong, it may be, it may in fact be, you know, either the Q4 of 23 or even Q1 of 24 before we see the stability. Um, let's also go back and, and look at the sequence of tightening and the lagged effects. We are just now experiencing the one-year anniversary of the initial rate hikes, which were not significant. The bulk of the tightening from an increase in interest rates, a decline in credit availability, and kind of an impairment of asset values happened in the last six months of 22, not the first six months of 22. We haven't yet had the full negative wealth effect for the wealth destruction in the broader asset classes, right? So we're two years into a bear market, but the first year, nine months, was just the bursting of the meme bubbles. It was the bursting of the crypto bubble. It was the bursting of the venture capital environment. And that was by far the epicenter of the bubble. But the rest of the asset classes being bonds, being growth stocks, didn't peak until really uh, November of 21. So we're just on the one-year anniversary of that. So we should see a fairly significant tightening within financial conditions, within the real economy, and I think a fairly significant impact to earnings. I think the, the let's start to put in context what this means. So let's say we get a drawdown, we see opportunities. If the data is telling us that this is going to be more severe and we're not going to have stability 
from an economic growth standpoint in Q3, and it's going to be Q4, then yeah, we will build our our repositioning of the portfolio in a much slower manner. The most important element of this recession and the most important element of any uh, what investors need to do during this, this recession is what's the nature of the recovery? And I don't think there's enough focus on that because what we're recessing is the excessive growth driven by one-time fiscal stimulus. So you're not going to bounce back from that. You're just going to fall to a lower level of nominal growth. We're recessing the excessive spending capacity of businesses and households because they had transfer payments. We're recessing the excessive excessive inflation, which is pricing power and top-line growth. So we're also going to recess margins. So I'm not... At this point in time, given the nature and what we're recessing, I'm expecting incredibly subdued growth. So the only way we get a big reacceleration is if we have a big contractionary recession such that we eat through some of the meat of and the sustainable elements of the economy because of shocks. And then you're going to recover back to kind of your, your normalized growth. And then you have fairly subdued. So, look, I... I think right now we're going to stick with our original playbook. We're not locked into it. The data is going to tell us we're going to let the cycle cycle. But I think the bigger focus is going to quickly shift to the nature of the recovery and not this fantasy of a soft landing or no landing or what the nature of the recession is. Great. All right, Chris, that's a good place to stop today. Good recap of the last couple of days. Um, Thank you. And uh, we'll have you on here again soon. Sounds good, Dan. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws. Securities discussed within this podcast may be held in the Von Nelson Strategies.